you've heard the term, but what does it mean? Today I'm talking about the origins of the term Rashomon. This is God's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. movie friends welcome to scott's off indulgent movie podcast and today i am addressing a kind of a a film term that's come up it came up because of a specific movie that came out in the past year or so which i wanted to talk which i'll talk about within my larger piece but it's the term rashomon and so when people refer to like refer to a movie as a rashomon what are they what are they talking about because it's a term that doesn't make a lot of sense unless you have a deep well of film knowledge so without further ado let's get started One of the hurdles that comes with becoming a film nerd is the deep well of presumed knowledge you need to understand film writing, reviews, and analysis. Even basic terms like cinematography are not always obvious if you've never heard it in context before or don't know what a cinematographer's job entails. It also doesn't help that a lot of film terms, terms such as the infamous Dutch angle, are actually bastardized terms that come from things like English mispronunciation or stage terms that were never really updated for the screen. And it definitely doesn't help that a lot of influential movies that critics and writers use as shorthand for an approach or trope aren't obvious by themselves in name. Imagine how confusing it might be if someone called Happy Death Day a Groundhog Day slasher movie and you had no idea either what Groundhog Day or a slasher movie was. Which is why I thought I would address a film that comes up in conversation a lot, at least in film circles, Akira Kurosawa's 1950s, 1950 film Rashomon. So what is Rashomon? As I just said, Rashomon is a 1950 film by Akira Kurosawa about the trial of a bandit who is accused of attacking a samurai and raping his wife. Unlike films of the time that may have used one solid flashback to indicate what happened in the past, the film is broken into four parts as the three participants in the crime, the bandit, the wife, and the samurai, tell their versions of what happened. Each story has the same basic beats with wildly different tones and takes how, on he, how each party is behaved. This is especially wild since the samurai is dead after being killed by the bandit and actually speaks through a medium. Once the trial is concluded, three onlookers, including a woodcutter, a commoner, and a priest, mire over who was telling the truth. At which point the fourth and final version of the story is told by the woodcutter, who says he witnessed the whole thing. And his version is a very damning portrait of all three parties, not just one. So why is this important? So Rashomon holds a special place in film history as a breakout for one for two of Japanese cinema's brightest stars, director Akira Kurosawa and the man who played the bandit, Toshiro Mifune. These two would go on to work together extensively throughout their careers and make some of the most influential films ever made, including The Seven Samurai in 1954 and the film that inspired Star Wars The Hidden Fortress in 1958. And the film has spurred on a lot of discussions about the nature of truth and whether or not even the woodcutter story is actually the real version but it's probably most important for its central narrative device. So, What is a Rashomon? 
When someone says a movie is a Rashomon, or a take on Rashomon, what they're saying is that the movie offers multiple versions of the same series of events, as Kurosawa did with Rashomon. There's multiple ways this could go, but typically this is done to give the audience more and more context for a single event by the film's end. Sometimes it's done once, sometimes it's done three or four times, like Rashomon. And there's two good examples of this structure I'd use to explain it. The first is Yuang Mimu's Hero. The colorful Wuxia tale featuring Jet Li follows the adventures of Nameless, a warrior portrayed by Jet Li who is brought before the would-be emperor of China. When asked how he accomplished such incredible feats, defeating the emperor's biggest enemies, Nameless gives one version of events. But when he's done, the king knows something is wrong, thanks to some candles, and gives a different version. One that explains why Nameless is within 10 feet of him and likely about to assassinate him. While Nameless acknowledges the king is correct about the deception, he corrects the king's version of events to present the truth, which is a more complicated version of the debates and events that occurred before he got here and his ultimate decision. What I like about this version is that it plays like a conversation where one guy tells a story, the other guy calls bullshit, and then the guy comes clean with his real intentions. That the king didn't quite get right. And the second example is a recent movie that got talked about for all the wrong reasons, including this blog and podcast, Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. The Last Duel is a cleaner version of a Rashomon adaptation since it is telling the same story. The events that led up to the titular duel from three perspectives. Sure, Jean de Carouche, a rough warrior played by Matt Damon, Jacques Legris, Carouche's former friend turned duel man who, uh, turned duel man who attacked Carouche's wife, played by Adam Driver, and Carouche's wife Marguerite, played by Jodie Comer. First, we get Karouche's perspective, which paints him as a perpetual victim despite his loyalty to the crown and fierce fighting in battle, and Legree as a snake. Legree's version paints Karouche as a bumbling idiot who stomps his way through everything and burns every bridge possible, and Marguerite as a willing participant in their encounter. And finally, we get Marguerite's perspective that portrays both men as pigs who put their pride and power above humility. And as much as we can have a discussion about the contents of the film without spoiling anything, I think this has potential moving forward, especially when we portray the relationships between the oppressors and the oppressed. What looks like an act of valor to one person is an act of terrorism to another. That's not to say we need to empathize with monsters, but rather that this is exactly how a movie can address and upend ideology, by showing us its victories and cutting them down to size. Because as Rashomon originally demonstrated, truth and justice are as hard are hard as hell to pin down. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.